So, Father, uh, I pray that it would just resonate in our hearts stronger that you are a good, good Father, Lord. That you truly are, really are good. That all of your ways are loving and affectionate towards us. Um, that you have our best in mind and that you know better than we do. I pray that that would really grip our hearts, Lord. Because it will really strengthen our faith. We would just question you a lot less. We'd fight back a lot less. We'd procrastinate a lot less. If we truly believe that you're good. And so I pray, Father, that your goodness and that your love that you showed, really, through your Son on the cross, I pray that that would really speak to our hearts, Lord. And so I just, uh, we just thank you, Father, for that. And I thank you that you're patient with us as we continue to grow in relationship with you. And I thank you for your mercy and grace that covers our lives. We give this time over to you this morning. Um, and I pray, Lord, that when you speak to our hearts, Lord, that we wouldn't turn a deaf ear, that we'd really pay attention, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, so, it'll be a little bit different uh, today. So, 1 Corinthians 11, we have just been kind of sitting on that for a while. All right? Um, I don't even know how many of you actually read. You had a long time to read 1 Corinthians 11. Maybe you did, maybe you didn't. I have no idea. And I'm not going to ask. But we're not going to talk a whole lot about it today. Most of what we're going to talk about is coming from 1 Peter chapter 2. And here's the reason why. The reason why is because finally, I've been waiting for this Sunday. You ever just waiting for something for a long time and then you get a chance and it's like, yes! Some of you might be still be waiting for that moment or that critical time where you're like, yes! So today is like that Sunday, finally. So we started this church in um, 2010 on October 10th. We were down, we met at the Elks Lodge near Stop and Shop. Um, Noella was one of the first early ones there and a handful of other people. And um, we had services every other Sunday. So we started in October, we had services every other Sunday until January. And then in January, we had regular services right straight through. So really, in 2011, is when we really had like regular church service like continuously. Um, and since that time, and even prior to that, I just kind of wrestled with what we're going to talk about today. And um, I'm excited that we're kind of on track now with some things that I feel like the Lord has laid in our heart that it's important for us to do. It's very important for us to do. Say important. important. Yeah, it's important for us to do. And I think it's a calling that God has for us. But um, we just haven't really had, things quite haven't lined up yet. But now like they have. Or they didn't line up previously, but now they have a little bit. So that's what we'll be talking about today. And um, I just want to read to you some stuff from 1 Corinthians 11. Because it's like, what is the deal here? And on Wednesday, Wednesday night prayer meeting, we're going to highlight and draw out some things and, and talk about it more there. But there is one underlying implicit, say implicit. Right. There's one underlying implicit idea that's happening in 
1 Corinthians, especially in this chapter, and also in chapter 10, that like it, it's like there, but it's not clear. That's what implicit means. It means that it's not explicit. Explicit is like, okay, somebody told you what to do, when to do it, what to bring, how to do whatever. It's very clear. It's understood uh, easily. There's a lot of detail. Implicit means it's, it's sort of vague. It's like there, but you're not quite sure. And there seems to be like it's pointing that way, but you're not really totally sure exactly what that means or how it goes. So let me read you what's implicitly being talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So let's turn there. We're not going to break a lot of this down, but I just want to read some of it to you here. So Paul says this, and then we're going to jump into 1 Peter. Paul says this, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And I'm just going to read right through it. And we'll get in more detail on this on Wednesday. So, I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the teachings just as I had passed them on to you. So that's Paul talking right there. Um, he says, now I want you to realize, now here's, here's, here's where we go. I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. So right away, it's like, what are we saying? Verse 4. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. And every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is just as though her head were shaved. This is like getting weird, right? Yeah, it's getting weird. If a woman does not cover her head, she should have her hair cut off. And if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut or shaved off, she should cover her head. There's all this talk about head covering, right? Verse 7, a man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. What? For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. For this reason, and because of the angels, so now the angels step on the scene with all his head talk, the woman ought to have a sign of authority on her head. That's like instant fight back. In the Lord, however, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman, but everything comes from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, is a disgrace to him? But that if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. For long hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. It's like, what the? What are you even saying? How did we end up here? All this head covering, you got men and women being talked about. You have authority being thrown around in there. Um, the angels are talked about. Very confusing. Right? Very confused. Needs some clarity, I think, at least. Then we go some more. He like switches gears and he talks about the Lord's Supper, which we would know it as communion. So here, and we're going to take it at the end, but here's some words that he says. He says, In the following directives, I have no praise for you for the meetings. Do more harm than good. So he's like, when you guys get together to do communion, it's actually like not good. He's saying, basically, I almost wish you wouldn't because it's doing more harm. So it's like, how are they doing communion? 
In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, so they're divided. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt, there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. So they're like just rushing to get like their food. It was really more of a meal. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. So somebody's getting way too into communion time. It wasn't grape juice. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. I like how he doesn't pull any punches. He's like, man, you're messing up. This is what it is. You're messing up. It's bad. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, which we're going to say again in a little while, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself or herself before he or she eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment upon himself. And then he goes a little bit further. He goes, that is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep or died. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. It says, so then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for each other. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home, so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further directions. Um, so, wow, it's a lot going on there. Now, the details of it, the, the head covering, um, this idea of headship, uh, communion we'll talk about in a little while, some of it is absolutely due to that time and day and that age and the way they just functioned then. A lot of it does not have to do with that. So exactly how does all that play out? I'm glad you asked. That is your cliffhanger trailer for Wednesday night that I hope you can make. Yes. Now, the underlying tone in all of it. Don't check out here. This is the, the underlying tone is that it's all happening. What's being talked about is church. Say church. Church. That's what's being talked about. So they're talking about there's this emphasis on head covering and how are they prophesying and how are they praying? Is something on their head? Is something not on their head? Is their hair long? Is it not long? Like, there's this idea of there's a way to do this and Paul is trying to express what is important and what needs to be done. And then it changes to, okay, when we get to communion time in church, you guys are totally blowing it. You're getting drunk. You're rushing to the front of the line to eat. People who are actually hungry, they get nothing. It's all jacked up. So underlying, it's like all this stuff is happening within the church. It's happening within a church service. So that's implicitly what's being talked about, what's being focused on. The interesting thing is that the Bible doesn't actually say a whole ton 
about have a church service. So much of like what we do and the way it happens, it sort of kind of just came together over time. Some of what's patterned in the Bible happens, but much of the way we do things is it's not said, hey, on a Sunday morning, do some songs, or say hi, do a prayer, do some songs, say a message, maybe do communion, maybe have something to eat, then go home. So it should bring into our minds what does it exactly mean to even like be a church? What does that even mean? And it opens like a whole can there. Because depending upon you know, who we are and what our experience is, it's like, well, I think I know a church of, you know, somebody gets up there, they talk about something, I go there, I try to participate, try and do good things, and you know. That's most of what the Western mind thinks. Uh, the Eastern mind's a little bit different. But this idea of what exactly is church. I remember when we were planting the church, way back when, and I was telling my coworkers, um, saying, hey, you know, we're, uh, we're starting a church soon. And, and previous to planting the church, I was always involved in a lot of athletics my whole life, and coaching was like a big part of it. And um, it just happened to be, you know, I started the church, there's no way you can do those two things at the same time. Um, and the greater calling was certainly to be a pastor and plant the church. And I remember I had uh, co-workers who had asked me to do a lot of other athletic things, and I'm like, you know, I can't, I can't, I can't. And they just like, keep asking, I just can't do it, you know. And, you know, we're planting a church, we're starting it. It's all foreign language, planting a church. It's all foreign language. And so much of the response was, don't they have other churches in the town? Yes. Yes, they do. You're right. But when, when they suggest the idea of other churches in town, in their mind, what a church is, but in my mind, I have like a whole other idea of what a church is. So when they ask that question, isn't there other churches in town, other places to go to, other places of worship? I hear what they're saying, but in my mind, I'm saying, well, not like the way that I think I, God has put a vision in my heart for it. And it's very hard to communicate, right, and get that through and kind of go through it. Um, so we're going to talk about today, just for a little bit, not long, that First Peter stuff is not long, um, we're going to talk about kind of the overall vision of really what I think God has for us as C.C. Nagy for a church family. So what's God calling us to look like? How are we going to function together? What's it going to look like? Because I'll tell you what, up until this time, it has mainly been... Let's just get people together and in relationship and in fellowship first. That needs to happen first before we can do some of the other things that need to be done. Because getting a group of people together does not make it a church. Singing nice songs together doesn't make it a church. Doing good things as a group together for other people doesn't make it a church. It makes it, sounds like a nice club actually. But we don't want to be a nice club. That's not the goal. That's not the calling. So we're going to talk about the church a little bit and like where we're headed and what CC Nog is going to do and then a part we can all play. Alrighty? Everybody here. Everybody alive. Alright. 1 Peter 2. Here we go.
So this is the passage that stuck out to me when I'm thinking about a church family. I like that term, family. Say family. family. Yeah, family. That's, when it's really functioning really well and it's healthy, it's a family. People are together. They're growing together. People are invested into one another. There's roots that happen. It makes it very difficult for people to just leave or just not be around or um, to kind of be on the fringes. It's difficult because the family's trying to draw them in. So I think of this passage and um, think about church family. It says as you, uh, verse 4, 1 Peter 2, verse 4. It says, as you come to him, the living stone, that's Jesus Christ, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God, and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says... See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now, to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, and a stone that caused men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. So, in other words, for people that don't believe, it just doesn't make sense. It's not doesn't work. It says they stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you, the church, are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Wow. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day he visits us. Let me skip down a little bit. Verse 21. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. That's just amazing, isn't it? Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body in the tree, so he might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So, it's a lot of reading we did today, but that's really the bulk of all the reading. Um, so now we'll just kind of like dissect that and take a look at it a little bit. I think that passage is super powerful when it paints a picture of what it's like to be around God's people. Words and phrases used. You don't have to look there, I'll just describe them to you. Living stones. It's like you guys. It's like us. Living stones. A spiritual house. 
then you are also called, listen, you're called a royal priesthood. You didn't know it, but you didn't go to seminary. But there's an aspect of that has um, been completely redeemed and given authority through Jesus Christ himself. Where you can have direct access to God. Because priests used to be, they have to like be the go-between for people. I'll go talk to God, I'll tell you what he says, and I'll get back to you. And it's not like that anymore. Through Jesus Christ, we just go to him. So you're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. A people belonging to God. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. It's just powerful stuff, right? Powerful stuff. So, let's break it down a little bit here. Um, first thought, as you look at this uh, beginning part, verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. Interesting. So, the picture, right? Here's your picture, right? Pictures always help. So, the church is something that we're going to look at as a spiritual house. You ever build something with stones? Anybody ever have any sort of experience with that at all? Building anything with stones? Anybody at all? Building anything with any kind of stones? Like four people. All right. So, I'll tell you this. Most of you would assume that if you're trying to build some kind of structure that can stand and be secure and not be blown over by the next windstorm... With stones, it's very difficult. It's not like it's out at Home Depot cutting little squares and little rectangles and you can place them all together and it's nice geometrical little shapes. They're jagged. Um, they are smooth in some places. They are not always symmetrical and the same. So God is saying that the living stones, that would be you and I, we're called to like fit together in such a way to where it builds this spiritual house where it gives glory and honor to God. If one of those stones, some of those stones, are somehow not tightly in place, they're in the wrong spot, they're somehow imbalanced, or they're missing, or they can easily be shaken. That's going to affect all of the other stones around it and what's near it. You hear what I'm saying? So the idea being of the church, the local, that's what I'm talking about really this morning, the local church family like we are, we're called to be built together as a spiritual house, living stones together, connected, strong, playing our part. So if you were to move one of us, it would affect people. And for the person trying to maybe remove themselves, or somehow life is just pulling them away for whatever reasons, it'd be hard. Because they're attached. Because they're part of the foundation and part of the structure of the spiritual house that has been built up. And much of the issue and much of the problem is in our day and age, our culture and what we live in 
is we live in consumerism. So much of what we know and the way we act, it's like, well, I still do I like this church? You know, do I like that church? And is that gonna work for me over here? Is that gonna work for me over there? And part of that's okay, that's good. I think we should be thinking like, is this a place where I can play a part and invest? It's good. But many times it turns into like a Walmart shopping thing. Eh, I'll try that out for a few weeks, you know, and then I'll do that for a little bit. I'll head over there for a little bit. I'll kind of do this, and I'll kind of do that. We're missing it. We're missing it. Living stones that are close, that are connected, that are together, that are invested into one another, being built as a spiritual house. Where somebody's struggling, like people around, you know, they know that, they reach out. Somebody's celebrating. Man, we're celebrating. A spiritual house that's being built from living stones that know who God is. and It's, it's built on the cornerstone. You'll see that in a minute. The cornerstone of Jesus Christ. He's the cornerstone of that whole spiritual house. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. He's the piece of it that upholds it and that brings stability to it. Does it make sense? A dynamic in there that becomes interesting, that happens with every church. So let's say that a church, and, and because we're so young and God is still bringing us together, forming us up, um, we're not really much like a spiritual house. We're like a little spiritual hut. <laughs> a little spiritual hut. We're like a little thing there. We're getting there. And... Um, what most of us know is, you know, there's some spiritual houses, they build their walls high, and they're expansive. And it's like, you have to be a certain way, and act a certain way, and say certain things. It's very rigid and difficult to get in there. But once you get in there, like, you're really in there. Then there's other places um, where they just come. It's just all good. Everybody just come, just come. You know, it doesn't really matter what it is, what's going on, what your background is, what life is like, you just come. Just come, just be a part, um, just be around it. Most churches, you can fall into one of those two categories. There's like this sectarian, we need to be removed from society, we need to like do things totally different because we're the church. And then there's this other area where it's like, we're going to take everybody and we'll be totally open and we're just going to bring everybody in and be super welcoming. And most churches usually fall into that. Um, It's interesting what's said here. Read this with me. This is interesting. In verse... Verse 11, take a look. It says, Dear friends, I urge you, as aliens and strangers in the world, to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Aliens and strangers in the world. 
So the church, there's some element of this spiritual house that is in fact aliens, foreigners, strangers in the world around us. There definitely is that dimension. It should happen that just something's about our lifestyle and about our faith and about how we follow after God is like really foreign and strange and sort of people don't get it. It doesn't make sense. Why would you do it that way? How come? There should be that there. If, if it's so much that like somebody can just totally understand our lives and it's somebody who does not at all have a relationship with Jesus Christ, they're just like, oh yeah, I totally understand how you do all that. It makes total sense. I totally get it. That's kind of a clue that we're off somewhere. If it makes perfect, if this life of faith makes perfect sense to people that don't really believe and walk in faith at all in God, there's a little bit of a clue. Why is it so easy for them to believe that? There must be some marks of our life that really stand out in faith. Paul is telling this group, or Peter, sorry, Peter is telling this group to live as foreigners and aliens. How would they do that back then? Wrote down some things. Um, one way that they were supposed to separate themselves back then, one thing that's talked about a lot that Peter talks about, Paul talks about, sex outside marriage. That should like make us an alien and a stranger. We don't know much about touching each other when we're not married. Guys are so weird. Right? That would be the response. That's like how the church family should be functioning. To our sex life are really alien and foreign to have some sort of self-control that's supernatural and like not normal. Foreigners and aliens. Still live here. But man, it's like so foreign how supernatural we can submit ourselves sexually. And that's the way they were able to do it then. That's the way they could do it then. They wouldn't go to much of the gladiator matches. First Peter, they wouldn't go. Just a blood fest, bloodbath. So many of the Christians, they just did not want to be a part. One, because of how violent it was. And number two, it also focused a lot on Christians that were in um, the actual arenas getting killed and being put on display for entertainment. Aliens and foreigners. I'm not going to go around that type of entertainment. I don't want to see it. I want to be around it. Wouldn't be such a bad thing if once in a while the Christian family was like, I don't want to listen to that. I don't want to see it. It's just, you know, I could, but I just don't want to. It's not bad. Um, They were strongly encouraged to give in extravagant ways towards the poor. Really investing towards people that just are really alien and foreign. Most people could understand something about giving out of much of the excess that we have. Very few people know something about giving out of generous hearts out of whatever little bit we might have. Or maybe even giving beyond what we might have. Around some people in some circles, that's considered to be stupid. But then if God is directing it, that's called faith. <laughs> Sometimes that happens. 
would seem silly, I'm sure it was like, the, I'm sure when they had thousands of people sitting on a hill, and they're like, hey, Jesus, we've got all these people. And Jesus is like, well, how are we going to feed them? We should figure that out. <laughs> so he's like, how are we going to do it? They're probably like, that is the dumbest question. We obviously have nothing. We got the little, you know, some crackers and some fish like this. But it was a moment to shine. That's like the whole point. There's some parts of our lives that's alien and foreign because faith is really shining through. We can be alien and foreign in the way that Jesus is the only way to pay for our sins and be in relationship with God, right? So aliens and foreigners way. Sure. But look at the next part. This is interesting. So if somebody just settled on that, I think that you could tell that some people, some churches, some groups, they say, whew, there's a lot of stuff we can't do. We've got to be different in a lot of ways. And so we'll be known for being different in everything. And sometimes what creeps in there is this idea of being super um, critical and very condemning of people that don't match up with that lifestyle. That's like that very high wall sectarian type of group. Look at this next part, though. This is very interesting. Verse 12 live such good lives among the pagans or among people around us that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day he visits us. So here's what he says He says, foreigners and aliens, yes, in many regards, but also so close and so sacrificial in relationships that they will praise God that you're just around them. Wow, it's right. It's unbelievable. So aliens and foreigners in the way that, man, we just conduct ourselves from just another place because the Spirit had put it in our lives and we're going that direction. But yet we, were, we live around these people that are around us our families, friends, coworkers, whoever, and we're called to live in such a way, to the best of our ability, to where we love and we invest and we forgive and we show compassion and we think about to where at some point some people are saying, God, I just thank you that so-and-so is just around me. Now we're talking about church. This is the dynamics that's supposed to be happening, that's supposed to take place. And God is bringing us to that place. It doesn't just happen overnight. <laughs> it's called uh, fighting the good fight of faith. That's what it says in 1 Timothy. It's a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing to do. But His Spirit equips us and empowers us to show amazing love like that and to also create boundaries in our lives where, man, what is that all about? Why is that happening? So people around us, it wouldn't be uncommon for them to reject us at times, because who was rejected? We just read that. Jesus was, right? He was rejected for sure. At some points in time, the church would be rejected because of the alien and foreign characteristics that they live by. Some rejection will come. Are you going to be friends with every single person? No. Will the forgiveness 
that you extend always lead to reconciliation with people? No. I sure hope you don't go in expecting that. I sure hope I don't go into expecting that. Much forgiveness done on our part will not always lead to reconciliation. Things just happen. Hearts get hard. Just doesn't always work out that way. So alien and foreign and lifestyle and faith. Say lifestyle and faith. That's where we should be foreign and alien. Like that should, it all should be really kind of like strange to people. But sacrificial and close in relationship. Say relationship. So foreign and, foreign and alien and lifestyle and faith. But sacrificial and close in relationship. It's really where God is calling us to be as a church. So, how does the church go about actually doing this stuff? It's hard enough to get one person to try and like submit to it, surrender and really follow in it with more victory than defeat. So how does it get a whole group of people to do that? It's a good question. I'm glad that you asked. Here's how a church does it. Number one, they build their foundation on the precious, say precious, I don't always use that word, so it's a significant that I did. On the precious cornerstone. That's how the church does it, number one. It's filled with people who have built their lives on the precious cornerstone. Number one, you elected to Jesus Christ. I mean, they just say, Lord, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to walk after you the way Jesus did. Rely on you for strength. I'm going to rely on you. For everything that I need that you said that you will provide, I'm going to trust in you. Starts there. And then we carry it out. But the church as a family, they have to consider this cornerstone, Jesus Christ, to be precious. Something of infinite great worth. Look at the words that's used here. In verse 6. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and... What's that word? You actually have to look at it. Yep. Precious. Good job. Yeah. Uh-huh. Precious. You guys, even here. I'll, I'll preach to the pews. I don't care. Precious. Then, go down further. Verse 7. Now to you who believe, He is precious. Something of infinite worth. Man, Lord, you are just precious in my life. I just, I have to be with you. I have to hear from your voice. You're the most important thing I have going on in my life right now. You're the only one that sustains me in the way I need to be sustained. You are infinite worth. That's what the church is supposed to be built on. When it gets built on anything else, it's like building on sand. It doesn't work. If it's built on good works, you're just going to build up a, uh, 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 just a really nice club that does nice things but never points to any supernatural father that can transform lives and always bring hope. It's just hopefully they can always do something good for somebody. 
So, how do you do it? Well, number one, the church has got to have that precious cornerstone in place. And that, honestly, for about five years, it's taken us about that long to really have so far as that. Jesus Christ is our cornerstone. And we surrender to the Spirit to have His way with however He wants to build it, wherever He wants to put stones, however He wants to grow us. So that's one part of it. The other piece, so we need the foundation and then the sustaining. Sustaining our strength and our hope only comes from Him. That's how you sustain it. Just with the recognition, understanding that, man, we're not going to make it. We're not going to do well. We're really going to struggle. It's never going to quite come together and make sense unless we're really being sustained by Him and His Word. Because if it's only sustained by however much resources we have, or however many people we have, however much money we have, however much talent we have, we're missing it. Because now we're starting to get, get to where we want to go by our own strength and effort. Primarily, it's supposed to be about faith. Our effort certainly matters because He wants to partner with us. But primarily, it's got to be a work of faith. To where the church is full of people that, man, I never thought I'd be doing such and such. Or I feel really, I really never wanted to do this. Or I felt God pulling on my heart to pull me in this area. I never thought I'd be hanging out with this group of people. I know, you know. When the church is healthy, there's a lot of stories like that. And there's a lot of people in transition of doing things like that, where they're constantly being challenged and stepping out. To where there's an overall consensus in the mind of the church of there's not some season where I'm just done. I'm used up, like I got nothing else to do. I'm just comfortable being here. I guess that, that's never the case. Never the case. There's always going to be places where God will grow us and refine us and use us in new and amazing ways. No matter for 15 or 85. It's always going to happen. Going from strength to strength and glory to glory does that. Isn't that exciting? Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Noel is there. So let me ask you this one question. I want to show, uh, tell you the end here. Um, what's the difference between rhetorical question? What's the difference between? So rhetorical means you don't have to answer out loud. What's the difference between an attender and a member? So let me think about it. What's the difference between an attender and a member? Something worthwhile to think about. Anybody who considers church to be a part of their life eventually has to kind of come to that question. <clears throat> the difference between, and, and you could even add to it, but the two that I found that really stuck out, the difference between attenders and members, people who are really part of it, is submission and commitment. Those are the two big ones. So I remember growing up and being part of a church, being a member of a church. I remember I had to come to a point where I had to say, all right, this church family, this leadership that's in place there, um, they have a certain amount of 
influence and authority in my life. A significant amount. Well, I'm going to trust them in a lot of ways. Not that I can trust them to tell me to do anything whenever. But whenever capacity that they might need me, challenge me, encourage me, I'm going to, that's going to mean a lot. I'm going to go there first. It's going to kind of be significant for me. Another part of gender and member, so submission, like at some point we got to say, hey, all right, these are the like spiritual um, influences in my life that I'll just submit to. So if they're, you know, really asking me and pushing me a particular way, all right. I'm not going to say they don't know what they're talking about or blah, blah, blah. Like there can always be a dialogue, but for the most part, it's like, I'm going to submit to that. The other part is commitment. So when you move from an attender to a member, it's, this is my squad. This is my fam. I invest here. I invest here. My Sundays, they are here. My vulnerability, it is here. My finances, it is here. My risk-taking, it is here. Where I can serve, I'm thinking here first. If I'm looking to make moves, I'm going to check with my church. That's like the big difference between a tender and member. And most people know a lot about attending, because like I said, a lot of people just want to kind of bounce around and pick and choose things. That, that's, not, that's like so foreign to the heart of biblical church congregation life. Very much at the heart of it is a group that grows together, that builds a spiritual house, that has deep roots, that does life together as a community. And so many times it's just people just, I'll leave here, I'll just go there, I'll just leave here, and I'll just do this. Here's some radical ideas that, like, that how that should really change. So like Allie and Josh, you remember Allie and Josh? I had to get married to move on. Um, and this really happens for most of the people that end up leaving our church. Um, sometimes it doesn't happen. People just, just drop off the face of the earth, and it's like, man, you know. One, that's sad that you never see them. Heart definitely breaks for that. But number two, my heart breaks even more because it was so easy for them just to do it. Nobody was really invested in them, and they certainly weren't invested in anybody. That's, that's really sad. But many times it doesn't go that way. So like Alan and Josh didn't go that way and say, hey, okay, where are you thinking about going to church? You guys are going to California. What do you got in mind? What's going on? What kind of church family, what church do you have in mind? So then I get on the phone or on email, say, hey, I've got an awesome couple here. They're thinking about saying hi to you, checking out your church, seeing if it's a good fit for them, where they can serve and be a part. I'd love to talk with you and brag you know, about them. Um, but I just want to give you a heads up. You know, from one family to another, just so you know, you know what's going on. And keep that dialogue going. See, that's family conversation. It's just strange to have people just, like leave churches and then show up over here and then leave over there and then show up over here. And, I don't and there's like communication. It's just strange. Like it'd be strange for us to have youth group kids come through, which we don't have a youth group yet, but we're in motion, we're trying to get there. But to have youth group kids come through, be done with the youth group, be going off to college, 
And if there is a Christian, most campuses they do, have a Christian ministry of some kind, it'd be really, it's bizarre to me to have, not have a youth group leader contact the Christian ministries there and say, hey, we got a couple kids or a kid that's coming over there. They're awesome, you know, let me tell you about them. You know, would you like to meet them or something? Like, how does the family not talk? I don't understand. It's craziness. There's just too much of like this, just division and just, it's not good. It's just not good. So the reason why I was excited for so long to really talk about um, what we've been talking about this morning is because finally we have been placed at our church um, a membership church family track. That's good. It's very good. Let me tell you what some of my personal struggles were for a long time being around a lot of churches and a lot of pastors. My personal struggle is that it says nothing in the Bible, nowhere about church membership. Try to find the passage. You won't find it. There's nothing there. So my personal struggle is to try and make people like make a covenant and promise and have this really detailed thing in place, it seems like if that church were to make a really complicated way and really in-depth promising situation, it seems like they're kind of adding to what God never said to do. But, at the same time, we just read about this head covering. This is the crazy stuff, right? The head covering and the communion talked about meeting together as a church. It talks about elders within a church. It talks about church discipline, that sometimes things happen in a church and the church leadership actually has to get involved and do something about it. Usually it's pretty far in between and rare, but sometimes it has to happen. It's very difficult to have any church discipline of any kind happen if everyone's just an attender and they just kind of show up whenever. (laughs) You can't like, you know, there's nothing there. It's kind of like disciplining kids that like, really aren't yours. You know, it just doesn't, it doesn't, it can only go so far. So, it's exciting for us because now, so if you guys, for those that want to, now we can say, hey, listen, CC Nagi, yes, that is my home church. I'm a, I even hesitate with the term member because it just kind of bothers me. But that's my church family. And that's kind of what the track is called. It's called a CC Noggy Church Family Track. And um, it's really basic. I'm going to tell you what it is. But that's the idea. It's to say, listen, for our church family, here's the members, you know, and then here's the ones that maybe are still trying to figure out, you know, they're still attenders and we'll still serve them, love them, of course, absolutely. But here are the ones that are truly committed to the vision, truly committed to building up this body, and they have no interest anywhere else. This is where they want to serve. This is what they want to do. Um, here's the thing we got to fight sometimes. Maybe not you guys, but some people have to fight. Anytime you talk about membership, um, it, like, it gets transferred to things like Costco and LA Fitness and um, you know, these other things. Like, what do I get? Who do I get? <laughs> it's like... It's like yeah. Yeah, and so... The, yeah, swipe card. I mean, the... What do you get out of church membership? 
Number one, if we're thinking that way of what can I get out of it, like that's automatically a cue that something's off. Um, but it's a legitimate question when asked in the right context. Because truly, you know, what kind of happens with the truth? That would be kind of different than an attender. Um, it's got to be something more than I get to get disciplined. <laughs> it's got to be something better than that. Um, so, I mean, for the church member, it would be, number one, like, you get to know and have full confidence that you would have a church family that would be loyal to you, around you, and supporting you. I, I, I think that's huge. I was just talking with a young guy just the other day. Graduated from high school about a few years ago. He's made a lot of bad choices. He's coming back to the school, checking it out, and he hung out in my classroom for a long time. We had a chance to pray together, talk about the Lord. It was awesome. Had this kid in class uh, a couple of different years. You know, you never know how life is going to pan out. Um, but, but the thing that rung out with him was that I just, he just needs support. He just needs support around him just to help him out, good people. And he just really he just, just doesn't know any good people or good support. You know, I tried to ask him about his church, you know, about his... He's Catholic, you know, about his church and kind of see what's there. But as far as when somebody becomes a member, at least, hey, man, this is my church family. I can count on these people. They'll support and uphold me, right? They'll be loyal to me. It's kind of a big deal. Certainly, um, it would be like church leadership that would certainly be more committed to helping out the true members of the church that are there. I mean, a church member would have more attention given to them than somebody who just popped in for a weekend. Because we're trying to build up the lives here that are truly members of the church. Someone wants to pop in and say hi. Well, that's great, you know, but there's really this element of just investing and being around and doing life together with. And I think that's like the, the biggest perk in the world. People are looking for perks, but hopefully we're not. So to be a member at CC Noggy, what's the deal? Here's the deal. Number one, born again Christian. Someone's got to give their life over to the Lord. That's number one. Number two, got to be baptized, either here or somewhere else. Number three, we do a CC Noggy class. CC Noggy family class. One-on-one. It's going to happen every other month on the last Sunday. It'll be about an hour and a half. Things we will talk about in that class. Overall vision of the church, short-term, long-term. Leadership of the church. And we're like in quasi-leadership mode. We're not where we need to be, but we're getting there. Um, How we spend money as a church. Um, how to serve the church, what it means to be discipled and do discipling at the church. So all those types of things will be covered in an hour and a half class. And then publicly, somebody will come up, you know, so, you went, so you're born again, uh, you're baptized here or somewhere else, went through the class, hey, you come up here and just be like, hey, praise God, so-and-so has decided to join the family, we pray with them, Boom, that's it. So that's what that would mean. 
So our first membership class will be offered next month, September, last Sunday. It's going to be at, uh, I think I put it on the church calendar online, I think it's at 6 p.m., and uh, we'll do it downstairs. And we'll do that every other month. You know, because people are just like, I don't know, I know I'm thinking about it, you know, so always want to have something fairly regular that's going to be in place for people that want to join. All right? And, um, yeah. Absolutely. That was for E. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah, because, you know, it's, it's such an important thing because it really helps build accountability within a church. It's a dangerous thing if you get a bunch of Christians who aren't accountable to anybody. That's very dangerous. Um, there's a need for ownership in a church body. Like, this is my church. Like, this is where I am invested. This is where I go. This is where I serve. These are my, this is my squad. These are my people. Those are my kids over there, you know. Um, those are the young minds that I want to invest in and take care of. It's really a whole big thing. It's all part of the package. And it just tremendously helps with discipleship. Discipleship meaning, that term's not in the Bible either. That's kind of a phrase that the church world has coined. But discipleship meaning we, we grow together in Christ and learn about Him and then just takes us where it takes us. So... Um, I'm excited for the next step, you know, to kind of take off and um, establish better our base as far as who's truly committed and, you know, what people are still kind of working things out, trying to figure it out. And, um, you know, we'll see where it goes from there. What that also does is that also helps bring together our leadership model. Because as of now, you know, it's not, which we'll talk about more in the classes, but the, um, the thought process and the idea is that the leadership model for the local church is really pretty much elder-based. Is that there's elders within the church, sometimes they're older, sometimes they're not older, but there's elders within the church that, What's the vision of the church? Where are we going? Is this a good situation? How are things going? How's that family doing over there? How are they doing over here? You know, how can we come alongside them? That's really a healthy way for it to happen, and it seems to be the way that it's really played out through the New Testament. And um, we don't really have that in place yet. So we have sort of a functioning way to do things, but it's not where it needs to be. So that's still growing, too. Um, so I'm excited about that stuff, though. I'm excited about that stuff. And I'm looking forward to see like where God guides things and um, where people step up. And um, I'm just encouraged by seeing this house grow more. I'm encouraged by seeing that. So let's um, pass out these elements and take communion together.